the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. It is great to be back with you. We have Mr. Bill to my uh, west. We have David Dahl, my producer, to the north. And we have uh, Miss Terry to the north of him. For the rest of you uh, who would like to weigh in or call in, uh, 602-508-0960, Of course, tonight is um, debate night, and we'll say more about that. But let's talk about yesterday. In the wake of the elections yesterday, where there is no joy in Mudville, if you are a Republican or a conservative, I think two rules need to be remembered that have been forgotten. One is the political philosopher Leo Strauss put it, the chief task of the political scientist. And if you are a political actor or listener to this show or interested in politics, we are all political scientists. The chief task for us is understanding the limits of our craft. What are the limits or limitations of our craft? That we cannot always see things as they truly are. I'll return to that. The second rule coming from Irving Kristol. It was actually his first rule of politics. He said the first rule of politics is that one has to understand others may disagree with you. Let's put these two rules together because when we do, we come to an uncomfortable realization. As much as we may listen to talk radio or watch Fox News or send around confirming articles and social media posts, There's a whole other part of America that will never see those and is doing the same with their minions. And on top of that, many don't like us. Think of the Democratic voter, totally normal-looking, middle-aged man. I was talking about him yesterday, caught on camera yesterday, going up to a Republican poll watcher in in Virginia, yelling expletives at him, that by merely being a Republican was the equivalent of threatening the Democratic voter with a gun or... He would invalidate any election he didn't like. That sentiment about us runs deep in the left, that Republican words or policies are the equivalent of holding a gun or of violence to people, uh, holding a gun to the head or violence, and that we want to go about and our daily routine is going about suppressing votes. Hard to blame Democrats and liberals and leftists for thinking that way when their president, our president, has said as much in his campaign for the presidency and since he's become president. MSNBC says it. The New York Times echoes it. The Washington Post says it. The ladies on The View promote it. Popular television and streaming shows say it. But we convince ourselves the conditions here are so bad. Think the border. Think crime. Think the economy. Think foreign wars. Think wokeism in our schools. Think lies about COVID. Think almost everything that has gone downhill. We convince ourselves we are right. We convince ourselves 80% of the population is or must be on our side. It isn't. We have a lot of convincing to do, is the takeaway, and it isn't convincing ourselves. It may be convincing ourselves that we haven't won yet, and that the world of American politics doesn't see things the way we do. 
I believe we also have to be likable. A role model for that was that Republican poll worker in Virginia yesterday who was accosted. His comportment was pitch perfect. If you want to watch the video, you can do so almost anywhere online. Confident, self-secure, self-secure, polite. Sometimes nothing wins an argument better, by the way. There's an old line of Ann Landers I like. When someone says something untrue about you, live your life in a way that proves them wrong. Anyway, so how to break through? Well, we've been here before. We need to evangelize and evangelize better. My concept is borrowed from the ex-slavery movement, Each One Teach One. It's actually a beautiful sentiment, born of a terrible past. Wikipedia defines it well, as I understood it and long have. The phrase originated when African Americans were denied education, including learning to read. Many, if not most, enslaved people were kept in a state of ignorance about anything beyond their immediate circumstances, which were under control of owners, the lawmakers, authorities. And when an enslaved person learned or was taught to read, it became their duty to teach someone else, spawning the phrase, each one, teach one. That's where we are ideologically today, with the left denying our ability to educate, speech, speak, and teach, by the way. Interesting that. So we have to do it ourselves, individually, especially those of us who crossed ideological Rubicons ourselves and left the ideological reservations and plantations of the left. There will always be and there will be a conventional takeaway from last night. It's ever with us. It's not new. It happens in every election I've ever watched since at least the 1980s, particularly midterm elections, never mind special elections. And it's that the issue of abortion is lethal to Republicans. I reject that. I will remind, before the Dobbs decision was ever released— I said on this show, Mr. Bill will remember, multiple times, it was likely the Supreme Court would be poised to overturn Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs case that was pending, and that the pro-life movement better be prepared to handle that. That the left and the Democrats and the pro-choice movement would exploit that even more than January 6th. The pro-life movement had been so set on attempting to overturn Roe that it was not prepared to condition our culture of 50 years of road to the new world that had been conditioned in law and in culture and in all kinds of legislative interpretation and other jurisprudence. I spoke to candidates about this. I spoke to think tank types about this. And the law and jurisprudence and culture of 50 years changed overnight, and we weren't ready. We on the pro-life side were not ready. It would not have been difficult, though. The Supreme Court overturning Roe would not mean and did not mean what was said everywhere, that abortion would be legal in America, though that was the talking point that took place throughout the land. How we weren't ready for that, I don't know. I can't tell you how many adult friends of mine had teenagers that were fed that line in their schools and believed it from their teachers, from social media, from other adults. In fact, what it would mean actually is that in certain states, like New York and California, abortion would likely become more protected and perhaps even more common. In fact, it would mean the vast majority of America would live and still live within driving distance of legalized abortion wherever they lived, just as was the case before Roe was ever decided. Here's how I know abortion is not politically lethal. The Democrats obfuscate and lie about it all the time. 
When Republicans or pro-lifers point out that most abortion laws, including the reasoning of Roe, allowed for late-term abortions and that no Democrats would circumscribe abortions after viability, they said it was not true. Though throughout the 2022 campaign season, none of them, not a one, would say they would put any time limit on abortion. In September, Kamala Harris was interviewed by Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation. Now, you tell me which side is obfuscating and unwilling to speak the truth or with clarity. Here with the ex- excerpts. Margaret Brennan to Kamala Harris. You have been very active on the issue of abortion and rallying behind the idea of this federal law to restore what was upheld in Roe v. Wade. But to do that, Democrats need 60 votes in the Senate. They need a majority in the House. They don't have. They need the presidency. So you don't need to level so you need to level with the american people don't you and say this is not a realistic promise to make for 2024 kamala harris congress has the ability to put back in place the rights that the supreme court took from the women of america margaret brennan in theory but it doesn't have the votes to do that what is it that you believe i mean what week of pregnancy should abortion access be cut off harris we need to restore the protections of roe v wade brennan well that was nebulous because it was about viability, which would be anywhere between 20 to 24 weeks. Harris, no, 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 no. Let me be very clear. Let me let me be very clear. From day one, the president has been clear. I have been clear. We need to put back the protections that are in Roe v. Wade into law. Since the Supreme Court took it, Congress has the power and the ability to pass legislation to put those protections back in law. Brennan, But does it need to be specific in terms of defining where the guarantee goes up to and where it does not at which week of presidency? Harris, we need to put back in place the protections of Roe v. Wade. Brennan, but but do you need to be more precise? Harris, I am being precise. We need to put back the protections of Roe v. Wade. Brennan, if there is the possibility through legislation to provide any kind of guarantee at the federal level, any kind of protection like the Republican proposal of 15 weeks— Would that work? Kamala Harris says Republicans are arguing for a national ban. She says she's being clear. She says she is being clear and that the president has been clear and they won't be clear. Why we are afraid of this or cowed by this, I don't know. We shouldn't be. We should not be put on the defensive and we should point out the truth here because call me a romantic, but I don't think you can win on lies and obfuscation, at least not if they are not confronted. And the truth is this. More abortions take place late term, by far, than are needed or wanted in cases of rape or incest. And 15-week abortion laws are well into the second trimester. Get ready for this fight in Arizona, for the proposed ballot initiative here is the most radical I've seen, again, with no time limits at any time. So if they're going to lie, let it be the tell that they even can't defend the truth. So speak the truth yourselves on this and everything else. In other words... Yes, I'm going against conventional wisdom. We don't need to speak less about this, but more. And to reach audiences, we need to find one, reach one, and teach one. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. If you have another take or additional takes on... uh, what happened yesterday in the special elections uh, or in the uh, off-term elections here? Uh, love to hear them. Uh, love to entertain them. Also, you know, we are going to be covering the debate tonight, the presidential candidates debate, or at least some of the presidential candidates who will be debating. It'll be uh, Tim Scott. It'll be Chris Christie. It'll be 
yeah, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, we will cover it live here, and then we're going to stay late here for the post-debate to do analysis with you. Uh, we'll happily take your calls, uh, Sam Stone and Hugh Hallman, take your calls with us, and we're going to watch it here. It'll be great. Uh, they're very generously uh, feeding us uh, dinner from the Capitol Grill, a great restaurant, two locations here, one in Biltmore, one at Scottsdale. Big thanks to them and shout out to them. But, um, yeah, um, interesting question as to things I've been seeing floated around on social media and other talk radio, which is the point of these debates, the point of them, when you have such a definitive lead by the person who won't be participating in them, Donald Trump. Um, First of all, be prepared for anything. I mean, if we've learned anything in um, political life over the last couple decades, anything could happen. Anything can happen. Um, Donald Trump is, you know, right now, obviously, in the catsbird seat for winning the nomination. But, you know, things can or could change. He is facing uh, several trials that um, could, you know, very much constrain his ability to campaign. I could see him being put under different forms of house arrest by these judges who hate him so very, very much, in which case his campaign will have to look something very much like what Joe Biden's campaign looked like last time around. Uh, The big rallies, that sort of thing. You just don't know. I mean, that's a scenario. There's a lot of different scenarios. You just don't know. So that's question and analysis level one. Question and analysis level two, you might be looking at who you want to be the vice presidential nominee for the party. You might not be, but you might be. Um, it is it is not absurd to think about the idea and concept that someone who is a loser in a primary will become the number two on the ticket. Doesn't always happen, but it often happens. Um, and the race is going to go on. And I think you know it's going to be it's it 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 it's going to go on with the fundraising apparatuses, with the direct mail campaigns, and. You know, we have already now, if you look at tonight's debate stage, paired the paired the stage down to five five other candidates, five other candidates who think they have a rational shot at this. Um, I think two and a half have a rational shot at this. Rational, um, rational. If Donald Trump does something to falter in a big way, it would have to be a huge way. It might have to be a court-imposed way, but I can think of two and a half. Uh, I, I, I don't think Chris Christie has a shot, uh, and I, I'm just a little bit less sure about Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy. One almost gets the sense that they're running for vice president. One also gets the similar sense that there's not a snowball's chance in Haiti, in Hades, Haiti, not a snowball's chance in Hades that Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley would be offered a number two spot. The animuses are just too great. But, you know, watching them slug it out and talk it out, especially as this party and this movement are going through several convulsions, 
is worth doing, especially given what I was saying about the issue of abortion in my monologue in the previous segment. They have different takes on it. Um, And I don't know, by the way, if anyone has heard what Vivek Ramaswamy's full-on position is on this. He's weighed in on a lot of things. He hasn't weighed in strongly on this one. Nikki Haley more so and Ron DeSantis more so. Uh, Chris Christie has been known to be a little bit softer on it. Uh, Tim Scott has weighed in on it. It's going to be asked a bunch tonight. It's going to be asked, I predict, the two questions I predict will be asked tonight, perhaps more than any other, will be about Donald Trump and his effect on the electorate, because some people are blaming Donald Trump being the leader of the party for the losses yesterday. I don't accept that analysis, but I see it. I understand the point. Um, And abortion. Again, I don't accept that analysis, but I see the point. I opened up by before I went into the monologue, pointing out that whenever Republicans lose, for some reason abortion becomes the conventional wisdom to blame as an issue, you know, especially after presidential elections. You can just guarantee that on the morning shows the next day, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, ABC, it happened after every single election where a Republican lost— the thing you would have the analysis saying, the analyst saying, and the guest saying is, guests saying is, well, Republicans need to move on from the social issues. Republicans need to move on from the social issues and not seem to be so strident on abortion. First of all, strident. You talk to anyone who's involved at a very committed level on this, particularly if they're involved in crisis pregnancy centers and that sort of thing. Strident's about the last word that's appropriate to use in describing them, number one. Number two, (laughs) you go to a pro-choice rally or an abortion rally, an abortion rights rally, that's stridency. I can hear echoing in my ears Chuck Schumer basically assigning out for attack Two Supreme Court justices by name if they vote wrong on abortion. That's stridency. Third, the Hadley Arcus point. What are we as a party? Who are we as a party? Are we really willing to give the protection of human life up, a party that founded itself on abolishing slavery and a, a party that founded itself on protecting the family? Are we willing to just throw all of that away and just talk about trade and marginal tax rates? Is that what we want to become as a party? And once we get rid of abortion, what's next? What's next in the constellation of social issues that really are the heart and hearth of who we are not only as a people, but if it is who we are as a people, isn't it about who we are as a country? And if it is who we are as a country, isn't it about who we are as a party that wants to govern this country? Think about what you're being asked to give up on this issue. It's not just a lot. It's almost everything. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski brings us our culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, Grand Canyon Planning Dot com is website. Great place to uh, read more about Grand Canyon Planning Associates. Great place to 
reach out to him. John, how are you today? Great, Seth. Thank you. A um, couple stories I was looking at over at the Wall Street Journal, kind of right in your sweet spot where the culture and the economy do intersect and the things you kind of <laughs> monitor. First, U.S. hiring slowdown signals cooling economy on the one hand. It's interesting, right. uh, this hiring slowdown. I noticed an article the other day. Fewer people are also leaving their jobs, aren't they? <laughs> I guess they're they're related. <laughs> And, and you know it's it's interesting because of you know we think back to 2020 during COVID and we saw right. the, the that that res, the great resignation yeah as that's it was over known. right uh, that is over yeah. uh, and what's interesting now when we looked at this is that um, you know we have this healthy job market which is considered healthy at the moment because so many people had left but it's stating here in one of the articles for those over 64 who have mostly returned yeah. so. Again, it's interesting, right? These are people that are in kind of the latter stages of their working career, thinking that if they would have left back in 2020, most likely they might have said, well, okay, I retired a few years earlier than I thought. But no, we're starting to see those people come back, uh, which is interesting. I, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if I was 62 or 63 at the time and I maybe retired a year or two earlier than what I would have thought I would have, I don't know if I would have gone back to work, but we're seeing that that's the case. Now, the question really is, is why is that the yeah, case? Yeah. Is it that, you know, the economy is is such a challenge for people, the burden because of inflation, yeah, right. uh, that people are saying, hey, it's much, much more expensive for me to live now than what I would have expected yep. in retirement. So I can't retire. I've got to go back to work. Right. Right. And for younger workers, you're noticing they're experimenting a little less, aren't they? They're 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 not so quick to leave their jobs on the great resignation scale either because there is a right. hiring uh, a drying up of the hiring new hiring. Yeah, there's less yeah. less right. uh, you know, opportunity right. out there yeah. uh, for people to make just rash decisions to move from one uh, position to another. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely right. Would you say that that means I don't know if this is a technical phrase or not. It's really an employer's market right now. Yeah, I guess you I could guess start you could to say the, the say pendulum that. has swung, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no question about it. I think that companies now are uh, can be a little bit more particular mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know vet out uh, people who they think they would like to be hiring. And one of the interesting things was, as it's been talked about, is is that you know social media. Uh, if you have a social media page and you post things about yourself mm -hmm. and. Um, these are things that employers do look at. And yeah, so I was just going to gonna say, straighten yeah. up and walk a little. T yeah, 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 a little bit. You keep your nose a little cleaner uh, than you yeah. were two, three years ago, right? <laughs> yep, knowledge is you know power for that employer. It's easy for them to find things out about people uh, that maybe were, it was a little bit more difficult in the past. Yeah, especially if you're marching on college campuses too. Yeah, uh, yeah well, <laughs> you yes. know, I mean that's that's not a small issue. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is the mood of the people. Yeah. You know, by some indicia, the economy's doing better than it has been. Right. But the mood is pretty foul. The mood is yeah, foul. And, yeah. And again, when they do these um, polls and, and you hear the percentage of people that believe that, uh, you know, the country is not uh, going in the right direction, that's it, that evidence is is you know we see it every day in yeah. just about every poll yeah people are are believing that things are not going well that the economy is not as good and here's the interesting thing too seth is that people have seen this tremendous inflationary pressure that we felt over the last year two years uh and you know the government is out there telling us hey the inflation rate is now only 3.7 percent yeah but huh. 
they're seeing, well, that, yeah. you know, my prices of eggs didn't go down, you know, 20%, that sure. they went up 20%. And gas didn't come down, you know, 20%, you know, from where, you know, it was back during the Trump days. Um, and so why, how can you say it's only 3.7%? I want people to understand that when we hear the inflation is 3.7%, that's on a year-over-year basis. So if they're saying it's 37 today, they're looking back from now until the beginning of November in 2022. That's the inflation. It's an annual rate of inflation that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. If you want to uh, collectively add up all of the annual inflation data, then we're up 20 Five percent probably since, you know, 2020 to where we are today. Uh, But when they talk about inflation, it's a year over year inflation. So they're going back 12 months from today when they make those uh, percentages. Great analysis, John. Thank you, sir. Hey, folks, want to talk? Of course, go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. You can request an appointment there. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FinRen Tippett, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. You betcha. Talk to you soon. Enjoy the debate. Thank you. You too. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960, 602-508-0960. Love to have your opinions and thoughts. Uh, on either the election results from yesterday or the um, debates tonight or anything else. You know what might be an interest? I think tonight it's going to be, I think, we'll see if I'm right, and we'll be here live to hold me accountable after the debates. Uh, I think it's going to be heavily on the foreign policy issues, obviously. Uh, Ukraine, obviously, Israel, um, Gaza, uh, maybe some China, um, Taiwan, or China generally, um, I think it's going to be about the debate, the um, elections last night, um, and um, and I think it's going to be about the Donald Trump effect, or if there is one. I think those will probably be three massively covered topics over the two-hour course of the debate tonight. What I would hope would also be covered is the issue of social media, which is becoming increasingly difficult to ignore. I think in hope it will be appreciated. We were onto this early. We've been talking about the harms of social media for a long time. We've been talking about the rising mental health crisis here for a long time and across, you know, various levels and various spectrums, uh, whether it has to do with the worst of effects when it leads to violence or even school shootings. Um, Boy, manifesto issue out of tenant out of nashville we can get into that too if you want uvalde but also just other problems that range from uh disinhibition and clinical depression and isolation uh, even suicide ideation i was having a conversation last night with um with a friend in the uh, in the business community just about you know the condition of our polity right now, the condition of how this country is just kind of vibrating. There seems to be a constant nervous din going on, doesn't there? Are you guys feeling it as much as I am? It's been probably with us since about 2020. It probably started with COVID. I think that's where we can pinpoint when people felt the earth was shifted from its axis just a little bit. And um, and 
and it had to do with our inability to deal with it as a mature society. It had our inability to deal with it as a society that couldn't look at it through a political lens and a political weapon. It had to do with foisting and promoting as much fear as possible. Fear is an awful thing to live with, and it's an awful thing to base decisions on. Most people will say it's probably the worst thing to base a decision on, fear and anger. Does any do other, do any two emotions sum up our COVID experience more than that, fear and anger? And I was saying, I, you know, I remember at the end of 2020, David, you weren't around, but Mr. Bill, you were. Remember at the end of 2020, even after the upheaval of the election, which caused its own set of convulsions, people were saying, boy, I just can't wait for 2021. Do you remember that? I remember, just let this year be over. And then it just wasn't. It just, the convulsions continued, didn't they? Bill's nodding. And then you joined us when, David? Did you join us in 2021 or 2022? February of 22. So you had another year of, um, of I guess, schooling and, and apprenticeship before you joined us. And then at the end of 2021, we were saying, just can't wait for 2022. And 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 it didn't get better in 2022, did it? And now we have this year, 2023, almost over, went through us like a hot knife through butter this year. It was, blink of an eye, give you more metaphors if you want, but this year went fast. But also with just seemingly a lot of convulsions, a lot of angst, a lot of distress, a lot of it emotional, a lot of it mental. And I was talking to this person last night about all that and how, you know, probably next month we'll start hearing a lot of cannot wait for 2024, cannot wait for 2024. Now, we should probably talk about what we can all do so that we don't have to keep going through this new abnormal that is becoming increasingly normal. I mean, also tell me if I'm wrong, though. Tell me if I'm overstating it. Maybe y'all think everything is just fine and everything is just normal in the way it should be. And people are acting no differently than they did in 2019. I think a lot of it has to do with the rhetoric, of course, the political rhetoric, that which was weaponized during COVID, to be sure. I think a lot of it had to do with being continually fed a constant stream and loop that the president of four years was the worst kind of thing you could find in the dictionary to call him from an existential threat to a fascist to you, you name it, people start believing that or start at least living in an environment where they're getting used to living under an existential threat or a fascist, whether they are or not. They're being told they are. Some of them believe it. Even if you don't believe it and you shouldn't have believed it, that's that's kind of the cultural air you're living in, the cultural and political air you're living in. All of this is a shock. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a culture and political shock that we have yet to recover from. And so we started seeing more and more stories about an increasing youth mental health crisis. Now, a lot of us warned about this. A lot of us early on in COVID said, look, you shut down schools. You shut down after-school programs. You pit kid against kid and family against family with their mitigation efforts. But really starting with the closing down of schools and after-school programs and activities, never mind you know, clubs and, and, and athletics, um, you know, you can't just snap your finger and put a child's life into 180-degree upheaval. 
and expect everything to be just fine. You can't do that. We said that again and again and again, but people did it again and again and again. And if, God forbid, they spoke out about it, you became Jennifer Say, as she did, the vice, the president of branding at Levi's. You get criticized uh, everywhere and called all the names Donald Trump was called, even though she was a left-wing liberal Democrat, and you end up having to be forced out of your job. And this happened to many, many people, not just the ultimate of being forced out of their job, but being called all these names just for, you know, kind of caring about the kids and their mental health, too. That being what we thought also was a public health issue, children's mental health, especially in a society that usually asks the question about any public policy change. Is it to protect the children or not? Usually we do things in the name of protecting children. We did everything in the name of ignoring and sacrificing children. And yet we're surprised that we're at the place we are. If you agree with me that we are at this place that I'm trying to describe, this new abnormal, this new nothing feels quite right or quite the same or quite stable. I want to say a little bit more about this on the other side of this break, if you'll let me. We'll be right back. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? Why Refi has that. You can earn up to a ten and a quarter percent fixed rate of return from Why Refi, and it's an investment not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. You're in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, compound it, whatever you like. And there are absolutely no fees. Peace of mind. No attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, your monthly statement will come with no surprises. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio, and it may be a better option for you than where you have your money or some of your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. YREFI is based here locally. Their offices are on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can visit them. I've been there several times. When you do, you'll get no sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign a thing. You'll just uh, see great people and hear from them about what it is that they do. And you'll be as impressed as I am. My friends at YReFi are trustworthy and honest. Check them out, investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. I was talking about this, this abnormal sense and feeling we seem to be operating in, and a lot of the focus has been on on our youth and their mental health, but I believe it to be affecting, and there are studies showing this, adults as well. There's a brand new article in the Wall Street Journal, by the way, uh, Children in Mental Health Crises Surge into Hospital ERs. Um, <laughs> you know, you add this issue to what people like Professor Jonathan Haidt have been studying, H-A-I-D-T, if you want to look up his research, and the effects of screen time, particularly social media, on our brains. And you will, you know, find the connection in particular, as he put it in the Washington Post recently, the association, excuse me, correlation between mental health and social media use is larger than that between mental health and binge drinking, early sexual activity, hard drug use, suspended from school, lack of exercise, being stopped by police and carrying a weapon. That's how toxic this social media stuff is. And you think about what we did for two and a half years of COVID. 
for some cases, two years, for some cases, a little less, but in a lot of cases, up to two and a half. We were encouraging children to do more school time. That's what happened when we closed, excuse me, more screen time. That's what happened when we closed the schools. <laughs> you know, we, we are a society that needs to take brains seriously. You know who takes brains seriously? I was discussing this with Sam Stone last week um, based on an interesting article by Congressman Mike Gallagher. China takes brains seriously, which is why they enforce a limit on children using TikTok. Do you know they do that? We don't. They do. They can't go more than 40 minutes per day. Do you know what our teenagers spend on TikTok? 76% of them use it almost constantly. In China, they can't. And by the way, the stuff on TikTok in China, it's a different platform. It's called Douyin. And it's serious stuff. It's science and educational content. You getting that on TikTok here? No, you are not. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.